and welcome to the Creative Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Van Doren, and in this podcast, I talk with some of the most creative and inspiring people that I know. From hearing about their process to what holds them back from creating, routines and rituals, to the intersection between creativity and spirituality, you'll hear from writers, actors, singers, dancers, musicians, painters, multi-passionate creatives, and anyone else who considers themselves a creative soul. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Creative Soul Podcast. I am your host, Leah, and I am so excited to welcome our guest this week, Kelly Smith. So Kelly is a globally celebrated yoga and meditation teacher, founder of Yoga For You, and host of the iTunes chart-topping podcasts, Mindful in Minutes and Meditation Mama. She specializes in the non-physical limbs of yoga and is best known for her master trainings in meditation, restorative yoga, and yoga nidra, and her international retreats. So I have to be honest that I think this conversation with Kelly today is one of my probably top five favorite conversations that I've had on this podcast so far. And I think the reason for that is because Kelly is so grounded, so genuine, so present, so real, so honest, that I think really speaks to what the nature of this conversation is about. And that is true self-work through the mediums of yoga and, and meditation and spirituality and creativity and all of these practices that we do to get aligned with who our real true self is. And I think Kelly embodies that so beautifully, teaches us what it means to be a real teacher, to be in true service. And we just talk about those beautiful, spiritual, deep life lessons that are learned through yoga and through meditation and through our creative and spiritual practices. So I know you're going to really love this one. It just felt like I could talk to Kelly all day and just kind of bounce these ideas off each other. Um, And really, this conversation left me feeling really inspired, really grounded, and really just connected back to my meaning and my purpose, which I think is the best gift that a wonderful conversation can give us, right? So I'm so glad that you're able to tune in today and to listen to Kelly and her wisdom and really just soak in the goodness of this conversation. Um, Kelly is someone who has reminded me the power of asking for help. And one thing that I have been trying to get more comfortable with asking for is urging you and encouraging you to leave a rating and review on the podcast. Um, It takes about two minutes on Spotify or iTunes um, or wherever you're listening to this podcast on Apple podcast. And it really helps so, 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 so much. And when you do, I would love to send you a guided writing meditation that you can use on your own um, to practice the art of writing, which I do think writing definitely connects you to that true self um, that we really talk about and explore deeply in this podcast. So I would be so grateful if you could leave a rating and review or send this episode to a friend and share what resonated within you and what inspired you in this podcast. And definitely encourage you to check out Kelly's podcast, Mindful in Minutes. She has wonderful meditations on there that are totally free and as you'll hear in this episode she is just the kind of person that you definitely want to hang out with so without further ado let's welcome kelly smith to the creative soul podcast hi 
Kelly. Thanks so much for coming on the Creative Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. How how was Michigan today? Oh my gosh. Such a good question. It actually was raining today and I love the rain and it was like pouring down and I just switched over my desk to face the window so that I can actually like see the rainfall and, or like see outside. Cause before I had my desk, like facing the wall, which was not a good idea. I don't know why I didn't think to have it facing the window in the first place, but it was really, really beautiful. So I'm loving that like summer thunderstorm vibe. How is Minneapolis, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It was actually rainy here today too. So I do, I, I think there's something so cozy about the rain, but I think it also, in my personal opinion, helps to foster creativity. So I think it's the perfect day that we're chatting. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Wait, I was going to, usually I, I start out the interview with asking what's currently fueling your creative soul, but maybe that's part of it. Yeah. I, to me, my creatives, I always, find a lot of creativity and nature in general and having like just a change of scenery, having something to look at out the window. I'm that kind of person when I'm creating, I like look off and get a little like spacey kind of mm. just kind of, you know, like gaze. It makes for some weird interactions at my co-working space because sometimes I'm like looking at someone and not even realizing it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> kind of staring off into space, just kind of staring off. But I find that if I have like, if it's raining outside or if there's just even like nice trees, like having something in nature to kind of connect to and like ground into kind of helps to bring that, that creativity forward. Yeah. And I love that you said that rain kind of is brings out creativity. Cause I feel that too. It's like, it just feels cozy. You want to be inside, but also it's like this cleansing energy. So I really love that. Yeah. So I'd love to hear more about your story, what you do. I know you are a yoga teacher and you host guided meditations. So I always love to hear people's like origin story. Like how did you get into that? What was the impetus or inspiration to get started with all that? And how has the journey been evolving? Okay. First of all, I know I can tell that you are a writer because of the... (laughs) the wonderful vocabulary that you have. That's one of the many things that I appreciate about you and seeing it here live, like in the flesh. I love it so much. Um, That's so so funny. Cause I don't even really realize that, but as you oh, say, that, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yes. And I am, I appreciate you expanding my vocabulary and teaching me new words. So that's why you can always tell when someone's when their creativity is in like long form, like written because mm. like, just with like the size of the vocabulary. I think. But anyways, so my origin story, and I want to preface it with, it's not like totally linear, but I don't think anyone's is. This one's always, I mean, it's not a hard one for me to answer, but it's like, so the thing is by the time you've uh, hit your thirties, which I know Leia, you have not quite graced your third decade yet. But the thing is when you've been chasing a dream and cultivating something that you love into your third decade of life and beyond the story just gets longer and longer because there's just more time that has passed. So the spark notes version of the origin story is I always, as a child, I always felt connected to something deeper. I was very intuitive as a child. I very much suppressed that part of me. I had this big fear of quote, like being weird, not being accepted, not being liked. And I just 
didn't really know what to do with all those feelings. And then a completely different part of me discovered yoga. And I started doing yoga as a form of cross training for my sports. I was an athlete. And at first I was just very in for like the physical, I almost was like very resistant to, again, kind of this idea of like the weird and the woo woo. So this would have been like in the very early two thousands. So before yoga and mindfulness was like in vogue, it was still a little like, you know, out there. And, um, and I was a Shavasana skipper which is <laughs> that person that when it's Shavasana time, they roll up the mat and then they're like, okay, see you later. Gotta go. And so I was just there. I'm obviously reformed now, but I was just there for the physical and for the stretch and was not there at all for any kind of rest or relaxation or introspection or anything like that. And when I was 16, my mom was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. And just due to circumstances, I ended up being her primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. And she was always into yoga as well. The first time I was ever introduced to it was a book that I pulled off of her bookcase. That was like a yoga book with pictures of different poses. And I was like, what is this wild thing? And, but we couldn't do like this really bendy, powerful type practice anymore. And this was the first time I was really introduced into some of the softer sides of yoga, some more therapeutic sides of yoga, which includes meditation and like guided visualization and, you know, following your breath things like that, because just with all the treatments and surgeries and, and things that just wasn't an option for my mom. And we were doing a lot together. So we started exploring that together. And there was a moment which my mom was like, you know, you like, I was walking her through just like a few, like gentle movements and maybe like some visualization. And she was like, you have a knack for this. Like you should do this. And I was like, Oh mom, that's so silly. Like that's not a real job. (laughs) And, (laughs) And I was very like resistant to it. And I mean, I was only 16 and, and she's in remission now. And she's still with us. She is like, you know, greatest grandma ever. And I kind of just went along my merry way, checking all the boxes um, and saying, you know, do this, go to college, get this degree, meet a nice man, eventually like marry that nice man. But I found that yoga was always something that I could return to like when I needed it, when I was struggling or when I needed something to connect to, or I felt lonely or I was struggling with body image, whatever it is. I always had like my mat and the tools to turn inward. And those always helped me. So when I graduated college and didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, I did my first yoga teacher training and I still didn't think it was a real job. So I got a job then in working in business and like business management. And I was kind of just teaching yoga on the side for fun. And then I moved for love with my not quite husband then to Missouri. We were in Minnesota for the first time. Uh, Then we moved to Missouri and that was when I had to leave everything. And now in hindsight, I realize it was the universe kind of like wiping the slate clean, like opening up a new clean, like fresh chapter for me in the moment. It was really hard because I was like 23 or 24 and I leave my friends and my job and my family and move to like this one bar, one Walmart town in rural Missouri, which Leah, I know you understand having to, you know, move for mm-hmm. love and having to just make things happen. And, and yeah. as you do, you know, life gives you lemons, you make lemonade like Beyonce. And, um, and so I decided that I had nothing. I had no friends. I had nothing. My husband was going to medical school, so I never saw him. So I thought this is, you know, my chance. This is either be three of the worst years of my life, or maybe I'll give it a shot and 
try to do something that I want to do. So I started working all these different jobs and here I said, I was going to give you the spark notes version, but you're just getting the full version (laughs) either way. And I I started working all these jobs, teaching yoga on the side and just kept teaching more and building my business and building my business. And so the first iteration of yoga for you ended up being a actual like yoga studio in this town. And it was a really special experience to be able just to do what I love every day and to teach students and do my first like teacher trainings and I did more like I offered trainings, but I also took more trainings too and felt like I really expanded my knowledge so I could better serve my students. And then we had to move again for my husband's job. And so I sold my studio and moved to Michigan. And that's when I decided, you know, I I went from having one of my best months ever and, you know, having this full abundant business and full calendar to literally nothing that I couldn't, we we were only going to be in Michigan for like a year and a half that I couldn't do that all over again. So I pivoted and I took everything location independent. So I created the current iteration of yoga for you, which is a location independent yoga and meditation school. So I travel a little less now, but I used to travel all over doing pop-up trainings in meditation, restorative yoga, and yoga nidra. So doing continued ed for other yoga teachers and wellness professionals and people that want to learn how to teach and share these modalities or just take a deep dive. I started my podcast then about five years ago when people are like, what's a podcast? And that was honestly the hardest part about podcasting five years ago, which is explaining to people what a podcast was. And it is guided meditations. Periodically, I'll dive in and do like a solo episode, just like doing a little bit of teaching. And then I do like meditation retreats and I take a group of incredible beautiful sold people to different locations kind of all over. And we do these retreats and turn inward. And now I really just focus on helping people connect with the true self and get tools for their toolbox so that they can find just the joy and the, like just the joy and the alignment that exists already within them by connecting to that true self space. So. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I, there's a couple things that I wanted to touch on. One, the fact that you were your mother's primary caregiver as at 16 and the way that you've kind of found this healing modality, not only to help her in the beginning, but now it's like, you're sharing it with so many people. And so how do you think that experience at 16 has really shaped the way that you still continue to serve and heal others? That's such a good question. And you know, it's interesting. No one's ever really asked me like that specific question before about that experience. And anyway, so I appreciate you asking that. And I think to a degree, I'm still learning how that experience has changed me and forms me. I think that the older I get, the, you know, farther in the rear view mirror it is. And as life changes, I gain new perspective. Even, you know, my son is only one. So even becoming a parent myself and thinking about him one day, you know, as a teenager, barely able to drive, like having to be my caregiver, having, you know, him doing that for me and what that was like now in a new perspective of being a parent. So I think I'm still learning the answer to that question, but so far what I've learned is, I mean, it did cause me to grow up pretty quickly. It also put my just life in a different perspective of what was actually important and what was meaningful in life. You know, we don't always at 16 necessarily have like the best grasp at what truly matters in life. Although I don't know, it seems like 16 year olds now they like, 
are very like in tune with like their energy. They also know how to do makeup really well, which I never did. But anyways, <laughs> and I'm like 16 year olds on like TikTok teach me how to like properly do foundation now. But I just felt like it really taught me what was important. Mm-hmm. And something really beautiful that came out of it is my mom and I weren't like that close. We just, we were always, you know, butting heads, just mother, daughter kind of, you know, butting heads. And uh, she and I are very much alike and we're both, you know, bold women, which can sometimes, you know, create some fireworks in a household. And it just, it totally took the walls down for both of us. We became so much closer and we've remained so close ever since then. Mm -hmm. And it just really changed my perspective on not only what was important, but how something really tragic can lead to something really beautiful. It doesn't always, and it's not always, you know, mutually exclusive or something tragic can lead to something beautiful. Sometimes there can be kind of like a controlled burn of a prairie, right? You can burn it down. You have to live through the fire, but sometimes then, you know, the new will come and and grow after it. So I think that that is something that I definitely learned from that experience, but I also learned a lot about my mom and her strength and her beauty and her resilience. And that's something that I really, uh, admire about her. And I, you know, feel grateful, very grateful for two things. One that my mom is okay. And that she's in remission, but also that, you know, the universe gave us that opportunity to grow together and to really deepen our, our bond on a completely different level. And so we always, you know, when the day rolls around, I was there when she got the call that she was diagnosed with breast cancer and my dad was traveling. So it was just me and her. And so we always on that day, some certain day in September, we always just, you know, text each other and, you know, just say hi. And it's just something that's really beautiful and meaningful and, and just really kind of changed the trajectory of my life, even though I didn't know it at the time. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Just the fact that you were able to go grow closer throughout that experience. And even now, um, still reflect on that day is like, and I love that you kind of framed it in the way that you're still learning the, the answer to that question, because I think those are those kind of formative experiences are ones that continue to shape and evolve throughout our lives. And so it's not like we kind of get that pretty neat answer packaged in a bow. It's like, you're continuing to live and and learn through that experience. And there was something else you said too. And, and I, even as you shared about your experience moving to Missouri and kind of these things that these things that happen in our lives that we don't expect, and it wasn't what we would have chosen for ourselves, but of course life throws things your way. And, and it's the way that we respond to it that matters. And so What's interesting is your experience with your mother and then also you moving to Missouri and really, like you said, turning lemons into lemonade and really sparking this whole new path for you and this path connecting you back to your true self. And I know that I shared with you that I had a similar experience where I moved, I just moved to Michigan for love and kind of was going through that same thing of, oh my gosh, like I have to leave all my friends. Like, how is this going to be better for my career and kind of questions like that. And so I guess this is less of a, yeah, more of a question of when you were starting out and, you know, starting to bring yoga was, was yoga a new thing for this town, which I would imagine. So, and how did you start that process of introducing yoga to people to probably people who really needed it, especially if they'd never heard of it before. And like, what was that process like of starting to build that community there? 
Yeah. So it was definitely new. Like people had heard of the word yoga, but the thing that really blew my mind, having moved from Minneapolis, I know it'd be kind of confusing because I've lived here twice. So I consider the twin cities home. So having moved from Minneapolis, this big metropolitan area, you know, pretty liberal to this small town in Missouri. And a lot of people believed that what I was doing was against their religion. And, and I heard that a lot. Actually, the first time I heard it was I was teaching a kid's yoga class and I brought out this book. It's called meditation piggy. It's very good. It's about a pig who meditates and, you know, breathes and controls his emotions and checks in when he feels big feelings. But I had parents that were really upset and pulled their kids from the class because they thought I was teaching their children something that was against their religion or potentially trying to convert them. And I think my initial reaction was kind of shock just because I had never heard anything like that before. I was like, oh, like people really think that way. And what I learned in that process, I learned, you know, a few things. One, I realized how I, in a way was very close-minded and I guess ignorant in a way to not realize that, you know, there are people that really think that, and that that doesn't necessarily make them like bad people. It's just, you know, they just, they know what they know. And it taught me that my job as a teacher is to meet my students where they're at. Like, Mm. when I'm a teacher, it's not about me. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with my students. So if they're uncomfortable, instead of me trying to, you know, tell them all the reasons why, and I mean, I do share a lot of like, you know, my personal belief as to why I don't feel like meditation is any part of a religious organization or converting people in any way. But like, if they just feel like they're uncomfortable with that word, then I don't have to use it as a teacher, I can still teach them how to practice single pointed concentration or how to check in with their feelings or follow their breath and never have to name it meditation. Mm -hmm. Or if they're uncomfortable with the word yoga, like we could do mindful movement. I can teach a yoga class with the common English terms for a pose instead of using the Sanskrit terms. And it, it doesn't have anything to do with me. It's not my job to try to be like, oh, students come to my level. It's my job as a teacher to just meet them wherever they're at and to give them the tools for their toolbox to feel like they're being successful and they're getting what they want out of the practice and that they're getting some guidance on their journey. And that really opened my eyes because this was also before like the 2018 election. We, you know, we're out of there by that. Well, we were actually still there right before anyways, but I had never, I think, and not to get too deep into this, but I think so many people were surprised as you know, that how polarized we were, that there were a lot of people that believed things that were like, Oh, people actually believe that. And it's just Mm -hmm. because we had never stepped out of our own bubble. I would have absolutely been one of those people had I not moved to a one bar, one Walmart town of rural Missouri. Mm -hmm. And it, I felt like it really gave me the tools to kind of expand myself, to try to see people as people, instead of instantly trying to put up walls and to resist and shut down around people who didn't necessarily share the same beliefs as me. Mm. And that was just incredibly eye-opening. And it, it made me realize that I could hold the beliefs that I hold and what feels good and right in my heart and also do the best that I can to serve my students as their teacher on their journey. It's also my belief that when you start doing these kind of introverting practices, it becomes a lot harder to hold hate in your heart if you take this journey. So I also sometimes feel like I'm kind of taking the back door 
in, in a way. So instead of just being like, oh, this is why you're wrong. Just being like, oh, thank you so much for explaining that to me. Let's, you know, work on some meditation to build compassion. So I sometimes feel like I'm, you know, and sneaking in the back door in a way, Mm. but I had just genuinely never thought about a lot of people that didn't think the same things that I did, especially not in the context of yoga and meditation. And it really challenged me as a teacher and it really challenged me as a person. And I think that it made me grow and forced me to see people differently in a good way. I I feel like anytime you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and you're surrounding yourself around people that maybe think differently than you, that it gives you an opportunity to expand. It may also give you an opportunity to really affirm, you know, okay, well, this is why, you know, this affirms my beliefs and this is why. I believe what I believe, or I think what I think, but it also gives you the opportunity to hear something different, which I think is good for the mind is to just hear different perspectives. So the process was kind of wild because I was like, oh, wow, this is really, just is very different than what I was used to. And it just challenged me and just taught me that very humbling experience. That's like, it's not about me as a teacher. It's I'm, I'm there to serve my students and whatever that means for them. Mm, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm so glad you shared that because that is an experience that and coming from myself who grew up in a, you know, very liberal spaces and also grew up in cities and didn't quite understand what I think most of the country experiences, you know, like I've grown up on the East and the West coast. And then there's all that space in the middle where people do there are, there are different ways of life. And I'm experiencing this a bit in Michigan too. And I love that you just spoke to a kind of getting out of your own way and being the teacher to meet your students where you're at. So you're really coming at it from a place of service and be like this kind of judgment mind that we hold based off our beliefs, our experiences, what we believe to be true. And realizing that people have very, like I, Earth is a planet of duality and earth exists where so many multiple realities are happening at once. And so many people, you know, based off their life experience, based off their perspective, based off whatever it is, they see the world through a very specific set of eyes. And I think what I've been learning throughout the last couple of years, especially in our political climate and just the divisiveness that exists here on earth, it's like, all of these multiple realities exist. And there is also a truth and that truth is what you know to be true. And so you can kind of trust that. And I think that's also what the practice of yoga and meditation teaches you to really tune in. And even when you said the true self, that really resonated with me because that, that like allows me to come back to center, you know, when I'm hearing all these different perspectives and you can get kind of confused of what's right and what's wrong. And you can argue about what's right and what's wrong. But when you come back to your inner knowing and your inner center and like that grounded place that yoga and meditation can bring you to, there's no doubt. And it's like, it, you're right that it, it allows you to then open up that compassion towards other beliefs and to hold multiple things at the same time, because I think that's what maybe this planet of duality is asking us to do that. Like, okay, I can have my truth and you can have a totally separate truth, but they're still equally as valid and we can still honor them in, in a really respectful and compassionate way. So I just really love that you brought that into the conversation because it's so 
relevant to what's happening today and the shift that we've been seeing over the last couple of years. And as things get more polarized and things get louder, I think there's, you know, a big, there's a, that common reaction place to react and kind of villa, vilify the other side or, you know, say that it kind of point blame and stuff. But I think the way that we heal is, is that practice is that coming back into your center and coming back to your center and not reacting, but coming at it from a place of love and the ability to hold all of these different perspectives and truths. Yeah. And I, I love everything that you said. I love this idea of like the world being one of like duality, which is so, I mean, that's so true. I've never heard it quite articulated that way, but I, I love the way that you describe that. And I think that to me, there's two main reasons that I feel so passionately about like true self work. So yoga nidra is a practice where you're consciously moving through the different layers of your being to connect directly with the true self. Mm -hmm. And there's two reasons that I feel so passionately about it. One is because I think when you get connected to that true self space, you no longer have to go places feeling like you're wearing a mask. Like you don't have to worry about, Oh, I'm going to go, you know, I have to be this person around these people. or I have to show up as this person around these friends, or when I go to work, I have to be this person and not someone totally different. And once you know who you really are and you connect with that space yourself, and this takes a lot of courage, uh, then you can let that part of yourself be shown. And it honestly is such a relief to just not have to figure out who you're going to be or how you're going to act or what you're going to do based on what your surroundings are. You just show up to those different surroundings being who you are and letting your true self kind of like shine through. And for, you know, years, like through all the way through like my, you know, early to mid twenties. And I do think this is quite a bit of what imposter syndrome is, but maybe that's a conversation for another day. But I think that we, if we're not connected to who we really are, how can we be expected to show up as our, you know, true authentic self? It's like a relationship getting to know someone, like you need to get to know yourself and your soul and kind of like I describe as like dating yourself. You know, you don't show up on a first date and be like, you're amazing. You're perfect. I'm in love with you. Let's get married right now. Like that's a little too much. You just start with like, oh, what do you like? And you kind of just get to know one another. And I think that when you So that's the first reason why I love it is because I think that it's a huge relief when you no longer have to try to wear all these different masks and be someone that you just know that you're not. And I think that when you have the courage to be your true self around others, you're also giving the people around you the permission to do the same for themselves Mm -hmm. and they may need that. But I also really like it because I really believe in being incredibly inquisitive and to question everything. It sometimes drives like my husband nuts. Cause I just have my first tendency is to kind of like question something or dig a little deeper. And, you know, we just think a little bit differently, but I love how being connected to the true self, it's like, I can question things and dig deeper, but then keep returning to what rings true to me. And I really had to learn that lesson when I was surrounded by a lot of people that just had lived a completely different experience than I did. They had just, you know, Patanjali who is one of the grandfathers of yoga. Good old Patanjali wrote the yoga sutras. He always talks about seeing, you know, you see the world through your lens and your lens is built through your life experiences. And unless you can take, you know, someone's lenses off and put them on your eyes, you don't know what it's actually going to be like. But what we're trying to do through the practice of yoga is either clear the lenses 
so that maybe not so foggy or learn how to take them off and to see truth instead of seeing the truth through our lens, which may be, you know, distorted if we don't have the right information. But I love that when you're connected to the true self and you're very inquisitive and you question that you can then figure out like, what is my truth? What is the truth? What rings true to me? And what is like my true North? And how can I make sure that like I'm aligned in that direction, even if I'm surrounded um, by different opinions or different thoughts or beliefs, you can always kind of check back in with what feels right and feels true to me. And that has made it easier in my life to do some unlearning and relearning when necessary. So I'm still working at it every single day, but reconnecting with that true self and then recognizing, oh, this thing that I've believed or that, you know, society has told me for almost 32 years I don't actually believe that, like that doesn't feel right to me. That doesn't feel in alignment with me. And the only reason that I can do that is because I question everything and try to return to like the true self. Cause I do think we are all born good. You know, when we take our first breath on earth, I think the soul is innately good. That's just my personal opinion. So I think that it's staying connected to that trueness and that goodness and authenticity that we're all born with. Mm, Yeah. That's so beautiful. And I wonder, you know, as you're sharing the yoga nidra practice with others, or even just yoga or meditation and all of these things. Yeah. I'm curious, like for you, what does that feel like, like in your body when you, when you do connect with that truth, that authentic truth, and how do you know that it's really you rather than a story that you've picked up or an experience that you had, or, or kind of, yeah. How do you know if it's the lens or if it's truly you? Like what does, what does that felt like for you? So that's such a good question. I have to sit on that one for a second, mm-hmm. mostly because it will feel different for everyone. Oh. And I know it's not a very like sexy answer, but to just be like, oh, you'll know right when you experience it. Like that's not, that's not always like the most helpful, but the thing that is so beautiful, but also so challenging about true self-work is that the journey that you're taking inward and what you're connecting with, that is completely unique to you. I learned this word the other day. I love it. It was called soul print. So it's like your soul's fingerprints and how, you know, everyone on this earth has a different fingerprint, like, you know, just on our fingers, like the same applies to our soul. So we're trying to like connect and see like our soul print, which I love. And so it's going to be so the way that you take the journey, the vehicle in which you take the journey with the destination, that's all different and unique to that person taking that journey. So it's hard for me to say, oh, you'll experience this or you'll experience that, or you'll feel this way, or you'll feel that way. I will say it feels good. Like no one ever connects with like the true self or feels like they're in alignment with their soul. And they're like, oh, this sucks. I hate this. Mm. Like no one ever says that because (laughs) it's just when you are living in alignment. And so I, I think the best answer that I have is whoever's listening to this, just recall a time. And like, you, you just felt in alignment and like, you were just joyful and it was easy. And it just felt so just true and like authentic to you. That could be anything, just doing something that you just genuinely love. Mm. It's kind of like that, because when you do the things that you just love for no rhyme or reason, you just really love it. Like to me, I think that's just like a preference of the soul. Mm. like you're a writer. So maybe at times when you're just in flow and you're writing and it just feels good, like that just might be a particular preference of your soul. For me, it might be, you know, something else. It might be going to the mountains or 
listening to music or whatever. And so it'll feel good, but I can't tell you exactly what it'll feel like. But to answer your second question as to how do you know it's not like something else or a story that you're telling you and, or telling yourself, excuse me, is it just will, it'll just feel in alignment. Like, again, you'll know, think about what it feels like when you're doing something that isn't in alignment and doesn't feel authentic to you. Like it's easier to identify that feeling. So if you are feeling that, then you know that it's, it's not it. Right. Like, and you will just understand like what it feels like when you start to get these little glimmers of it. Mm. And I wish I had a better answer, but I think because everyone's journey and like, that's part of the reason why on my podcast and all my guided meditations, they're always like different topics or different styles or different, you know, lineages of meditation is because everyone needs something a little bit different to kind of find like their sweet spot. So there's a lot of variety there. And I think it's because everyone's just taking a different journey and like different things will resonate with different people, but it'll just feel easy and good. Mm, I know. I love that answer. Cause I think you're so correct that everyone is so different and it's going to feel it's your unique journey to uncover and to allow to unfold as your soul wants it, as your soul is meant to, as you're, you know, why you're here on earth. It's like, we're all going to have these different situations or circumstances that come up and that, you know, that's like the fun part of it, that we get to create that story for ourselves and, and create what's true for us. And, and a question that I have, because I think I've identified this over the last couple of years, you know, as we've been home, we haven't really been able to like go out to classes and things like that. I've realized that I've actually built this resistance to really being in the moment and really sitting with what is present. And I see this show up in myself with the way that I resist even approaching my practice. I think pre-pandemic, I was, you know, really showing up to my yoga practice, my asana practice daily, weekly, you know, whatever that was, or showing up to a meditation practice daily, weekly. And I've noticed that over the pandemic, I had so much resistance to taking an online yoga class or to sitting in meditation with people over zoom, you know, and I don't know if it's just because we don't have that like in-person connection or it's because we're in our spaces and there's no like separation, but what would you say to someone who is feeling that resistance to even showing up to their practice? What are some ways that you can kind of start or begin or soften into the resistance? So I think that if someone is feeling that resistance, lean into it a little bit and be inquisitive and be like, Mm. but why? Because what you never want your practice or your meditation to feel like, or even being present to feel like it should never feel cumbersome. It should never feel like, oh, just another thing that I quote have to do, Mm. or I should be doing it. Something is off there. And it might be that maybe you're feeling burnt out. It's, or maybe you just haven't found the right style, or maybe you need to mix up styles, or maybe the time of day that you're trying to do it, like, isn't the right time of day, or maybe you're just craving something different. Maybe instead of doing some yoga, you want to try running or something. I don't know. And I think that only you would know the answer. So I'm actually curious, Leah, like in a second, I'm going to ask you, even though this is your podcast, but I'm going to ask you the question, but just be more inquisitive. So what do you, what do you think that was about Leah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that you turned it on me. Cause I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think that what, even as you were saying, like finding what feels good, it's kind of giving myself that permission 
to do something different. So it's like, okay, showing up in my yoga practice really worked for me for a while. And then because of circumstances or, you know, the environment or whatever it was, it's like, I needed something different. So now I've turned to different things like walking outside every day. That's something I do every day that fills me up. It never feels like something I have to do. It's like, I I want to do that versus, you know, sometimes I think about rolling out my mat these days and I'm like, ugh, like I have that feeling of like, man, I have to do this. Or like, even though I know when I get into that flow state, it feels so good. And it, and it, it, you know, you feel so good afterwards. But I think, I think maybe it is that just like mindset of like, I have to do this versus I want to do this. And like, this is what I'm, this is what is calling me. And it's okay if, if that's not calling me right now. So kind of giving myself permission to be like, yeah, it's, it's something different right now. That doesn't mean, you know, I, that doesn't mean anything. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. And you may just need a break and you can always come back to it or mix it up a little bit. Or if you dig a little bit deeper and you realize you're just like, oh, you know, I, I actually just, I've just been feeling really sluggish and it just, you know, I'm feeling resistant to like moving my body. Cause maybe it does feel good. And, you know, I'm, not feeling the best right now. And so I just don't have the motivation to move my body or something like that. Like that would be an indicator, like, okay, even if it does kind of feel like something you should quote should do, like if you're digging a little bit deeper and the answer is, oh, I'm kind of just getting in my own way here. Like I actually do want Mm -hmm. to do this, then, then lean into that. But if it, if the answer that you get is, you know, this is why I can't really do a lot of like interviews and things on my show because it's always like, well, I don't know. Like, what do you think? Because it's when you're working with like the true self and you're working with the soul and like a meditation practice or a yoga practice, that's going to be as unique as the person that is doing it. And so my, you know, my answer is always, I don't know. What do you think? Because oh. I can't always tell, like I can, you know, help guide someone, but I don't know. I can't answer those questions because it has to come from you connecting to that true self space and just being honest with yourself. You don't have to be harsh with yourself. Just be honest and try to be like meditation teaches us how to be an observer and just be an observer of our thoughts and of our feelings. Almost like if you were, you know, observing someone else, like if I could pop into your meditation practice for a few minutes and be like, oh my gosh, well, Leia's really thinking about this thing or, oh, you know, she's feeling kind of sad today. I wonder what that's about. And being more inquisitive instead of, you know, in my own practice, I'm like, oh my gosh, Kelly, why are you thinking about your grocery list? Like, get it together, focus. You're so distracted. Like you literally teach us stuff for your job. And before, you know, I'm like spiraling into this like self-shame or whatever baloney and trying to be the observer and to take the attachment out of it and to just look at like, okay, what's happening here can be a really, really useful practice to then uncover some of that, you know, get through the weeds a little bit to get to some of the deeper stuff and that more like true self, like work of like, what do I actually want and need? Oh my gosh. You actually kind of just unlock something for me because I, I love that you keep bringing up just like this inquisitiveness and just, you know, this curiosity. And I think so much of what creativity is, is curiosity. And it's like, you're not trying to produce something amazing or, you know, whatever. It's like, you're just showing up and asking questions and like living the answer it, it through the exploration of your expression or your practice or whatever it is. So I feel like that kind of that, cause it, I mean, in this podcast, we talk about the intersection of creativity and spirituality. So it's like, that's that spirituality piece of it too, that 
you, you know, in a meditation practice, you show up and there's all these things going on, but instead of trying to make it one way or, or trying to, you know, put your, like put yourself into a box or, you know, or judge yourself or all of these things. It's like, you just kind of show up with that curiosity and that compassion. And that's what allows you to soften deeper into the true self, because then you can actually like get closer to that truth of what you actually are feeling, what's actually going on instead of kind of creating all of these mind stories around it. I think it's so wild that you just said like the word unlocked, because when I'm, when I'm just personally working with my own creativity, a lot of times I imagine kind of like a lock and key situation Mm -hmm. in which I'm really like, I have some kind of like a lock or something. Like I always see creativity just for me personally coming from the heart, the heart space, like the heart chakra totally different. Other people see it from like the third eye, you know, whatever. But I always imagine kind of this, like almost there's like, like a lock or like a lot. What do you call it? A keyhole. That's what I'm trying to say. Like a little keyhole. And then I have to take the key and kind of like unlock it and then open the door to let the creativity flow. So I think it's very interesting Mm -hmm. that you think of creativity as like unlocking too. When you start, I, I love when there's certain things and like, sometimes I'll hear from like listeners and they'll be like, oh my gosh, it's like, you know, you were like saying what I was thinking. And it's not that I was like in their head and I'm like, oh, you know, so-and-so, whatever, Leah and Michigan's going to love this one. I just think that there's certain like synchronicities or certain things that just kind of make sense. And so like create, like unlocking creativity is one that just seems to really resonate with a lot of people or having to kind of like open it in Mm -hmm. a way to like let it flow for many people is one that's just like, very common. And I always think that's cool. Like one that comes up, just like a fun little thing. Totally. And I think what this is reminding me of is this idea. Cause I've been thinking about this idea of service. And, and even as we started this conversation, you're talking about what it means to be a true teacher. And it's like, you know, it has nothing to do with you. It's, it's about how you can show up and, and meet your students where you're at and serve them. And I, I feel like even in this conversation, it's like to, to truly be of service you have, you can't have any agenda in mind. You can't have any like ideas or preconceived notions of where I want, you know, it's like, I, even in like showing up for this podcast, it's like, okay, yeah, I have some ideas of things that I want to talk to you about or ask you about, but it's like, I still have to then just sit here, surrender and allow the conversation to flow where it wants to go. And I think that when you come at it from that place and like, yeah, getting, getting out of like your agendas and just showing up to the moment and showing up to the meeting, the moment where it's at, it's like, Oh, I'm getting chills as I'm saying this, because it's like, that's where the, the, that like true spirituality lies. That's where that presence, that flow lies. And that's where those synchronicities occur because it's like, it's all in magical divine timing. So that just really exemplified that in such a beautiful way. (laughs) Cool. Oh my gosh. Wow. How fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I think that it's, it's interesting because I was last night, I was with Ashley Sondergaard of the Yoga Magic oh, podcast yeah. and Gina Sear, who does the Past Lives in the Divine podcast and then a local astrologer, but just doing kind of like a little event thing. And it occurred to me because they were all talking about like, they kind of work in like past and future, whether it's through like mm. astrology or birth charts or past lives, right? They're working like past and future, which I think is such a wonderful, beautiful tool. And it occurred to me during that time that it's like, we kind of need all of them. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, like my work is so rude. Like my mind is always blown when I listen to them speak. Cause I'm like, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And, but like my work is so rooted in like, just like the present, Mm. like the right now, the present. But it occurred to me last night 
as we're doing this like little speaking engagement and it's just like, you know, as one does, I wasn't like fully, I probably should have been a little more present in the moment of like what people are asking questions about. But I was like, oh my gosh, you need all three of these things. We need past, present and future. And we cannot let ourselves get so like, I think of it as like, you know, you can divvy it up however you want. For me, it's kind of like 80% present, but then you need like 10% past of like being able to still like reflect and learn things and, you know, be able to use hindsight and look backwards and use your rear view mirror. But then you also kind of need this 10% of like planning ahead or thinking of the future and that you kind of need this combination of like all three. And I just found that so fascinating of being like, because my work is so, all I think about all the time is kind of just like the present, the present, like the now, that's just the nature of my work. And I was like, oh my gosh, we kind of need all three of these things to really kind of do some of that deep internal, like magical work is that you can't just, well, maybe you could always fully be in the here and the now always, but I don't know if that would fully serve you as like a human to never have the, you know, retroactive wisdom of being able to look into the past, particularly mm-hmm. into the past, like quote mistakes. I'm doing like the little, like, you know, fake quote things, because I don't know what really is a mistake. Like there's some things that are definitely mistakes, but there's some things that it's like that in hindsight, you're like, you know what, that was kind of more like a happy accident, but being able to reflect on things in the past, but then also, you know, either looking forward to the future future or using the information that you're getting from past and present to then apply to the future, mm. which was just something that I was thinking about when I was supposed to be listening to people asking questions, but instead I was trying to unlock the secrets of the universe. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I love this like insight because even as you're talking, it reminds me, cause I, I totally agree with you that I think, you know, maybe the sages and the mystics talk about how we have to like know the self to forget the self so that we can just be. But I think that I love how you framed it in like 10% future, 10% past, because I think you need all of that. And it reminds me again, as we're talking about, if we live on like a planet of duality and polarity, it's like, okay, you have people like, it's kind of reminds me, I frame it too, as like beginning, middle, end, so like past, present, future, and like both sides of the spectrum, I'm using my hands, but you can't see my hands, but like, let's say that like the right is on one side of the spectrum. The left is on the other side of the spectrum, just, you know, in any polarity situation, but then the middle is like where it all comes together, but you can't have the middle without those two ends of like the magnet. So it kind of just reminds me, even as like, we were talking about just, you know, different people and they're just the way that our planet is made up. It's like, you need all three. We can't, we can't exist without three, without all three And I don't know if the answer is to live in the middle and to live in the present or, you know, like who knows what the answer really is, but I just love how that kind of all comes together. You said that so beautifully because when you started talking about it, the thing that in my mind, I was like, yep. Cause you know, like a sandwich without the bread is just a bunch of random stuff. (laughs) I was like, it's just like some deli meat, Uh, (laughs) which is not the most eloquent way to say it, but I was like, yeah, that's it. Like the sandwich without the bread, it's just a slab of deli meat. It's not going to do anything for you. And, but that's kind of what I think of it as like these, yeah, like these bookends or you kind of need all three. And I think that by the time you get to a space where you can live like fully in the now you have, you you, unless you will, you know, were born just like completely enlightened, which is like amazing. Like send me an email. I want to talk to you, but you, you absolutely, you only get there from taking a journey. 
Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to say that you're never just like fully arrive, like you arrive somewhere because you've taken a journey. Mm-hmm. And I think that you cannot take a journey without past and future. But I also, someone, I cannot remember if I read this or where it came to me. This is not my original idea, but someone once said that depression is always living in the past. Anxiety is always living in the future and happiness is living in the now. And I mean, that's an oversimplification of depression and anxiety, but I do think that when you're constantly living in, and this is from someone who has suffered at different times from both depression and anxiety, that when you are always thinking about what is behind you or living with a lot of regret that that can certainly exacerbate a lot of that depression and that sadness Mm. and kind of like that low self-worth. But if you're also thinking about what could happen or what, you know, maybe will happen in the future or fears of things that maybe will happen, but maybe never will happen. This happened, you know, I had a lot of postpartum anxiety, just thinking about, oh, what if I put my baby down, you know, to sleep at night and he's not alive when I get him in the morning, which is very dark, but I know it's a very like common fear. So if there's any moms listening and you've worried about that, you're not crazy. Like that's very common, but that's me constantly. I mean, that's unlikely to happen. Could it happen? Sure. There's always like, if the universe just decides that that's the way that the cookie crumbles, but I've done everything I can to keep him safe in, you know, safe sleeping arrangements and all of that. Like every time I think about that, I'm putting myself through the pain of potentially having to live through what would be like the most tragic thing I've ever experienced in life Mm. when it's probably really unlikely to happen. And if I am just more present or maybe I'm, you know, rocking him and putting him to sleep and just enjoying like the love and the snuggles and all of that in the moment. So instead of thinking about maybe what could happen when, what horrible thing could happen one day in the future, that definitely exacerbates my anxiety too. Mm. So I think of it like that sometimes is that, you know, happiness is in the now. Mm. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. And especially even talking about like postpartum depression and anxiety, because I think that is so important and not talked about enough. And it makes me, cause I know you are a new mother and I'm curious, like how your practice has changed or shifted since becoming a mother. And, you know, yeah, even as you were talking, like, what are those things that you've kind of had to lean on as you kind of evolved into this new version of self? So I think that more than ever, it's interesting because a lot of what I was always doing already and like kind of felt like maybe was the right thing for me has only been reaffirmed in motherhood, Mm. primarily being connected to the true self. For me, this shows up a lot with making decisions for what is best for like me and my family and my child. I like my little guy, I, we call him pork chop on my podcast just for his own privacy. I promise his birth certificate doesn't say like (laughs) pork chop, but like pork chop never latched. And so I had to like exclusively pump again, if there's any mothers listening, you're non-mothers are probably like, Kelly, why are you talking about your boobs? But just no, we love it. Here. This community loves it. <laughs> because it's future mothers or future descendants. I love, mothers. I love just a good old boob loving community, but <laughs> it's like, he never latched and there's so much emotion and shame and opinions around how you are just supposed to get your baby fed. And honestly, it's just a load of garbage. Like you can't, sometimes you just can't, like, there was nothing I could do. And we trust me, we tried everything to get him to latch. It just wasn't in the cards. He just preferred a bottle. And so I had to exclusively pump. And there was definitely, you know, a really rocky time where I just felt like, you know, I'm trying everything. Like, why aren't we getting it? And I felt like such a failure 
as like a woman in a way, or as a mother. And I know this, you know, and I, I like to talk on these things because I think that so many mothers, especially in the first like few months, we live in the shadows Mm -hmm. and social media tells us that like, you know, we should be grateful that we can have children, which is 100% true. But I think you can also be so grateful for the fact that you have a child in your life and also recognize that we shouldn't make women feel like failures because there's some, you know, biological reason that traditional breastfeeding isn't working for them. Yeah. And that both of those things can exist too. So for me in those moments of having just so many opinions, people saying, try this or try that, or, oh, if you don't breastfeed your baby, they're not going to be as connected to you, which is a myth. Studies tell us that's wrong. So if anyone's heard that science says no, and you know, and there's so many different decisions that you can make it as a parent. But to me, when I say connected to the true self, it becomes so much easier to weed through the noise and to maybe, you know, do my research, take in the information, take in the, you know, the data, maybe take in some opinions, although a lot of those are unsolicited opinions. So, you know, whatever, and then take it all in, but then return to myself and true North and say, what is best for me? And at this time, what is best for me and what is best for my baby? And what are we going, am I going to keep in essence, like starving him in a way by trying to force this thing that just isn't going to happen? Or am I just going to give him a bottle and feed him and he will be happy and thriving and will still be so connected. Like once I did that and I was like, I was like, why, why am I doing this? It's so, so all we do me and him every time it's time to breastfeed, we just cry and we get frustrated and it's horrible when like, I could just pump my milk and give him a bottle. Mm. And I, and I mean, it's not always that, I mean, that's an oversimplification of it, but when I'm trying to make those decisions, like he also, he had one of those like orthotic helmets. He had a little head dent. Mm. He may have been using my pelvis as a pillow a little bit too much, which I didn't know was a thing, but a lot of times, like if the babies have like a little dent or a flat spot, it's actually formed like in the womb when their head's so soft, depending on how they're like laying in there, it can, but anyways, he used my pelvis as a pillow. So he had one of those little helmets. And again, I felt like a failure and I just had so much shame around it of like walking around at first with like my baby with this helmet and people say insensitive things, they say offensive things, but that is, wasn't even like the worst of it. It was just like, somehow it's a common misconception that babies with helmets, um, are neglected. So they're left like in their cribs all day and that's how they get like a flat spot. So, which isn't true, but a lot of, that's a common misbelief. I think that like when we were kids, I think they kind of like said that like, oh, well, you just left them on their back all day and like a swing or, you know, in a crib. So people, so it's a common misbelief that like, if your child has a helmet that you must have neglected them. And there's just so much like pain and shame and, and no one talks about it that Mm -hmm. we can also be so happy with our child and grateful for the fact that we've been given life and when we were trying to decide, you know, if we want to do the helmet thing or not do the helmet thing, or when someone would say something and suggest that I had neglected my baby and, you know, and that just broke my heart. But then I, but then returning to myself and this is something I learned from my therapist, but should I say, Kelly, is it a thought or is it a truth? Mm -hmm. And I love this distinction. So shout out to Jackie, my postpartum therapist. Mm -hmm. She would always say, is it a thought or is it a truth? Because it often is a thought. It's rarely a truth. Mm -hmm. Like, is it actually a truth that I don't, love pork chop and I neglected him. And that's why he has to have this helmet. No, that's just a thought that I'm having based on, you know, what people are saying. And to me, that all boils down to like that true self work. 
Mm. and staying connected to who you are and what feels good and right to you, especially when there's so much noise. The two times in my life I felt this the most was one when I was graduating college and everyone was asking me, you know, quote, what am I going to do with my life? And a lot of people were really disappointed when in me and judgmental when I decided to pursue this path mm. because it wasn't, you know, like a normal job or whatever. And then when I became a mother, when people had a lot of opinions on what the quote right way was to raise a child. And I think that the only reason I've made it through or navigated those two times when I didn't feel like I had, you know, I don't want to say I didn't have support, but I'll just say two tricky times in life mm. was because I was connected to the true self. And so I could return to my internal compass and know which way was North and stick with that. So that's really just become even more important to me. And then the other piece of how my practice has changed is I've, I've given myself realistic expectations as to what a practice may look like while juggling so many different things. Or like when my body was really healing from growing life and giving birth and all of that, like trying to be kind to myself, but giving myself realistic expectations of like, I do juggle a lot. And so, you know, I meditate for 10 minutes a day and like, that's plenty and that's fine. And I'm not going to be like, oh, well, you used to do it for 20 before you were a mom. Like, no, I did 10 minutes a day. Studies tell us that that's enough to get all the benefits and that's good enough for me. And so just having realistic and honest expectations for myself and what my practice looks like from day to day or from, you know, season to season and that, that that's okay. Mm, wow. I thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I feel like it's such a perfect real life, real world example of everything that we've been talking about of like staying connected to the true self. And, and when everything else is telling you different, you check in with yourself and what feels right for you. And that's like, you know, that trust and, and ability to like lean on your intuition and lean on what you really think is so helpful in navigating these really big challenging things. So just thank you for sharing that. And I know that, and we have to wrap up. I know that we could talk forever, but just lastly, where can that we- baby pork chop? He always needs something. <laughs> He's got a call. <laughs> which me to go whip up some dinner in a little bit, yep, but yes. We will let you go <laughs> take care of him, but just where can people find you? I know that you also um, do retreats and, and that sounds so exciting. So where can people people connect with you, listen to your podcast, get some information about retreats and yeah, all of that. Cool. So my website is always a great place to start, which is yoga But really I just, I invite anyone that's listening just to hop over to my podcast, show up as you are all are welcome. It's called mindful in minutes. Just try a guided meditation. The most important thing about finding the teacher for you is that they feel like the right teacher for you. So just go over there, just poke around, try some meditations, listen a little bit, see if it resonates, if it resonates, then go to the website and see how we potentially could work together. But otherwise just come hang out. The doors are open. All are welcome to show up as you are. And you know, my favorite joke is that maybe we'll start sleeping together. We'll do a little nighttime meditation. Who knows? Maybe I'll, you know, join you in bed one night, but you know, you never know. So just that's it. You can just, or follow me on Instagram. I answer my DMS. It's yoga for you online, but yeah, just mindful in minutes. Or if anyone is a mother or an expectant mother, I have meditation mama, which is guided meditations, um, for motherhood. So created from a mother for a mother, all the way from prenatal to moms with adult children. So that's where we hang out. So come hang out with me. I love that invitation. That's the best invitation that I've ever heard. (laughs) How can I say no to that? That's amazing. Um, And we'll put all of that information on the show notes, but thank you so much, Kelly. This has been so wonderful. Thank you for being the highlight of my day. 
I hope you enjoyed that episode and thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend and tell them what inspired you. Or if you'd be so kind, you can rate and review the podcast. And when you do, I would love to gift you my free guided writing meditation that will connect you to your creativity, yourself, and your spirituality. Just go on over to my Instagram at Leah Van Doren. That's L-E-Y-A-V-A-N-D-O-R-E-N and send me a screenshot of your review and I will send over the meditation and I would love to hear your thoughts. Stay inspired, stay creative, and keep shining your creative soul.